0: uh ladies and gentlemen boys and girls and friends beyond the binary it's time for the podcast uh that uh what i want to put a little love in your heart just like to like uh, dolly or whoever sang saying that song can say let's let's flourish that love in your heart okay cuz you deserve it uh, and thanks for showing that love back. uh by supporting the show, you're making the world a better place. A little bit of a restful place. Thanks, patrons. Uh, hey, you up all night tossing, turning, mind racing, trouble getting to sleep, trouble staying asleep? Well, welcome. This is Sleep With Me, the podcast that's here to put you to sleep. We do with a bedtime story. All you need to do is get in bed, turn out the lights and press play. I'm going to do the rest of what I'm going to do is try to create a safe place where you can set aside... Whatever's keeping you awake, whether it's uh, thoughts, uh, feelings, physical sensations, emotions, travel, changes—you're on a trip, or someone else is on a trip, or you're just—you know—you just can't get comfortable. Uh, whatever's keeping you awake, that's what the safe place is. It's a place where I can distract you uh, via, you know, uh, rambling, uh, talking about Game of Thrones. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send my voice across the deep, dark night. I'm going to use the lulling, soothing, creaky dulcet tones, pointless meanders, you know, like, uh, it will do like that. I'll admit, you know, uh, word tripping, sloppy words. If I ever said that before? I got words. I think I've used word slobber before, but sloppy words, uh, mouth you know speaking with like uh my mouth's empty, but uh there's too many mouthfuls of uh of a word, you know like <laughs> I've got so many words I can't even come up with one to explain what I'm trying to explain, but if you're new, i'm gonna send my voice across the deep paradigm I'm gonna use these creaky dulcet tones, i'm gonna to try to use a slow pace and i'm gonna to try to be here uh be at your bedside or across the room in your earbuds or across your speaker, under your pillow, whatever works for you. I'll be here to keep you company until you fall asleep or whatever, you know, however best I can serve you, you know, via this strange uh, digital thingamajig we got going. Uh, Here's something that has nothing to do with anything. Whatchamacallit, let's get, maybe I could talk about that. Uh, That's a candy bar. But if you're new here, let me set this up first. So if you're new, here's the structure of the show. At the top of the podcast, we got five or six minutes of business. That's how we keep the podcast free in all the archives, 560-something episodes free. Uh, Without the the patrons and the sponsors, uh, there wouldn't be a podcast. Uh, But if you're new, it's not super important. You know, test the podcast out. If you listen regularly, you know, that's what keeps the podcast here is, is the people that participate in those things. But if you're new, that's the beginning. It's kind of a necessity for a sleep podcast to have that at the top. Then we have an intro. This is not a necessity. It's like a 12-minute intro or so where I ramble and kind of display my my ability to not make any sense. And you can kind of say, huh, this kind of takes my mind off of stuff, uh, but I don't really need to listen. So then you can say, okay, this is a podcast that keeps me company. That I don't need to listen to. That's kind of barely entertaining. Uh, okay, I think I get it. Or maybe I need to listen a few more times. If you want to cut straight to the um, Game of Thrones stuff, the uh, timestamp, like estimated timestamp, is in the uh, show notes. Uh, but yeah, tonight we'll be ta- then after the intro, we'll talk about the episode of Game of Thrones. Any facts that came up. Uh, Talk to time and Pounce, old gods and the new, and we'll say some thank yous. Uh But that's that's the podcast. It's a podcast to put you to sleep, put you under no pressure to fall asleep. I'll be here to keep you company, and it's a podcast. So like I said, you don't have to totally pay attention to. But yeah, there was there's this candy bar called what you call it. I think some people might know it. it's it's in the U.S. and uh I think I like it. It's not like, uh, it's not the most, po- no offense what you may call it, but you're not the most popular candy bar. Let me just see if I can guess. I think it has, it's a chocolate on the outside. I think it has rice crisps in there and caramel. And, uh, like, um, hmm, maybe I said like rice crisp and caramel, maybe some nougat. It's made up of like a lot of rice crisps though. Like the crunchy stuff, like I think puffed rice is what it is. And I don't know anything about the history. That could be a podcast, The History of Candy Bars, uh, brought to you by Hershey. We've never heard of those other candies. You say, Well, what about this? Never heard of it. Uh, This is the uh, Essential History of Candy Bars uh, by Hershey's. You say, Well, what about this one? I had it, never existed. That candy. No, no, it's an NPR style show. Where we talk about the essential history of candy bars. Uh, And then uh, I was, I remember I was watching a taping of uh, We Got This podcast, and and someone was, one of their guests was talking about how milk chocolate in Europe is much more tasty. So, but we wouldn't talk about that on the Hershey, you know, the essential history of uh, candy bars. We said, oh, no, no, only our, you know, Never heard of that European milk. We're talking about milk the only milk chocolate that's good is the ones covered in this history lesson. I guess it could be branded content. But but one episode, I guess, would be dedicated to the whatchamacallit, you know, depending on how much they pay. But this podcast is free, so we don't have to worry about it. And also, I don't have any facts. Even if they were branded facts, I wouldn't know. I don't even know what the ingredient is. It's like a strange label, too. It's like a grayish-brown uh, package, and then it says whatchamacallit on there, and then it's a company that owns it, which I assume is the big H, but I'm not positive. And I think I – I mean, I know I like that candy bar. I don't know if I went through any, like, phases. Uh, I love saying it, whatchamacallit. And I think in the 80s they did have an ad playing on that. You say, well, what's your favorite candy bar? Uh, uh, whatchamacallit. It would fit just in with this package. They should be a sponsor, actually. So, uh, whatchamacallit, that's my favorite, it likes to play, play on, like, the who's on first humor, and I don't know if it was a witty branding thing, or, like, maybe a celebrity, you know, because they think of, like, a lot of candy bars, now, this might be based on just my ignorance, more than likely, but, uh, I think, you know, most candy bars are named by baseball players that were on, like, the New York Seals and the, uh, Brooklyn Dodgers, like, almost all candy bars were named by, uh, Baseball players, you know, like baseball players like Soupy Sam and Tin Can Foil. And I think that's so that that probably is how it got its name. It said, w- 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 Tin Can, so- Soupy, you know, Tin Can, what did you just pitch to no hitter? And they'd be smoking also. I think they usually smoke cigarettes and had, had a cocktail. And they'd like i uh, say, Well, and I'm having this, uh, whatchamacallit. Uh, they freaking paid me to eat this. Can. And they say, Change the name. If tin can soupy or whatever, uh, you know, that's the name of the candy bar. Now, who would have thought you would turn into a sleep podcast for fake news about candy bars. So like, uh, holy moly, but I do like, I was trying to think of like, I, 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 like my candy bar obsession. I was just obsessed with the score bar. I don't even know how to spell score bar S K I O R maybe, uh, and then I burned myself out of that one. Like I was obsessed with it when I had a paper out and, and I could afford to buy them, but then I ate too many. So I'll never. I don't know if I'll ever have one of those again. And then uh, in high school, as like when I or maybe middle school, uh, the, there was a corner store by our school, so they had Charleston chews. I ate a lot of Charleston chews. Uh, but it, like I do, I think I do have an affinity for whatchamacallits. There's also a hundred grand. That's another underrated candy bar. And, uh, like here's the thing about c- candy bars like that. Like some t- you know, how, how often do you get a whatchamacallit on Halloween? I mean, come on. Like, how about that? Uh, you don't, you can't get a snack size, uh, whatchamacallit. Not that I know of. Like a hundred grand, you occasionally would, and then some of the other ones. We'll cover all this on the history, the the uh, official. What did I say? The essential history of candy bars uh, recorded live at Big H Park. Uh, uh, we cover all the history, the, all, all the history of candy bars. Uh, but yeah, so that's the podcast. So in, and ideally, the what you call it commercial would be kind of like a breakfast conversation about this podcast, but for real. You'd say, "Well, what was that thing Scoots was talking about?" I don't know. He kept saying, "You know what should call it?" The uh, the thing you stick in your feet to get your shoe on. He kept. He said, "What should call that thing?" Uh, you mean a shoehorn? Yeah. And then he was pretending. Then he was talking about foghorn, leghorn. And then I think I fell asleep. I don't know. You look so like devastating today. Oh boy, you look great. Oh, thanks, Sonny. You do, too. I I, I didn't even know he was talking about Foghorn Leghorn, huh? Yeah, he was saying he would like to create a Foghorn Leghorn shoehorn. And I think that's what he was talking about. Though he could have been talking about uh, uh, paper planes. I can't remember which one. Or uh, or I think maybe he was talking about a bottle brush. Maybe I don't know. Oh boy, let's go! What a day! I'm so ready to take on today, because I slept so good. Because I had scoots and I can't wait to drive to work and listen to that Candy Bar podcast. He was talking about. Oh, that doesn't exist because the uh, Scoots actually. Fought. He used that. The, the, he's coming out with the the uh, inside the essential. Like he's that was a, a strategy because he was trying to break up the uh, candy monopolies. So he was undercover doing that podcast, and now he's going to do a podcast about that. What's he going to call it? He's calling it Candy Bar Undercover. Well, I think I thought he already wrote some uh, erotic fiction about that, about candy bars. Uh, or maybe I was asleep. Maybe that was a dream. Oh, that Scootsies having you dream erotically candy bars. What a What a gem. And by the way, uh, excuse me, Couple, enjoy your breakfast. Thanks for that uh, great podcast. Uh, By the way, Candy Bar Undercover is going to be trademarked. And just to reassure all you, it will be available in both forms. Uh, My undercover investigative podcast, that's imaginary. And, uh, you know, Anna is an after dark story, Candy Bar Undercover. Uh, That's all I have so far, but I'm working on it. And that's the that's the intro. Like, uh, so if you're new, give the podcast a few tries. It just isn't for everybody, you know. I got creaky dulcet tones, and I talk about strange stuff. I go off topic. I take forever to get there, you know. I'm I'm usually sorely mistaken when I t- you know. But it, like, uh, it's done with the greatest of heartfelt uh, desire to help you. Like the people this podcast can help. I'm so happy it does. A lot of people say it starts working on their second or their third try. So I hope it helps you because I've been there unable to sleep. Uh, so as they say in every opening, I appreciate you coming by. And I really hope and I really yearn to help you fall asleep. All right, thanks. All right, hey, everybody, we're talking about uh, season, what is it? I don't know, season six are we have in. I, I somehow forgot that, but it's episode five. Eastwatch, Watch, and it opens with smoke on the water, which I think is a song, but I didn't look that up for the facts. Uh, but out of the, it's a great view. Oh, that's what I put first before I get to what's happening of uh, water with smoke in the distance, and we can tell, which is nice. I, I was happy about this. Yeah, uh, really, from a like a, a fan perspective, that it got right to the conclusion of the last episode right away, They didn't leave us hanging, and I was very surprised by that. I thought, uh, I was like, are we going to have to wait a whole episode, like, which, like not until episode six uh, to find out what happened, or are they going to show us uh, right off the bat? And they said, hey, right off the bat, we're going to show you. And show us that they did because, uh, Bron comes out of the water. Then he pulls Jamie out of the water and they lie on the shore, catching their breath. They're exhausted. And Jamie's like, man, you could have, uh, what were you thinking, Bron? Uh, it, we get a lot of, not a lot of screen time of Jamie, but Jamie's really stretching really a, like a, if you went, if you like use the term emotional journey, uh, Jamie's got quite the emotional journey he goes on in this episode. Well, I guess, like, he does get a lot of screen time, too. Yeah, but he, this is, like, where his journey begins, I guess, at the beginning of the episode. Really, like a rebirth in some sense. And he's mad at Brian for stopping him from going after the Khaleesi. And Bron's like, WTF, bro? What were you doing? And Jamie's, like, trying to win the war. And Bron's like, yes, uh, he goes, "There's a dragon there. And also, Jamie's hand looked extra gold in the mud, like because the mud washes off the of gold easier. This is a saying too: mud washes off gold easier than. I guess it's a metaphor because you just build your own metaphor there. Yeah, uh, but he says, "What do you like? Uh, you like the Bronson movie that's getting remade? I believe." Uh, he goes, "Like he goes, that was risky, overly risky on purpose." Ron believes. And he goes, until I get my castle, you're not going, no dragons, uh, no Khaleesi's, uh, o- only me, you have to answer to. And then what does this say? You're fed. F-E-D, I put. Uh, capital F2. Uh, well, let me get the uh, close captioning on here. The episode just started on this end. Uh, but I don't know what he says. You're, o- you're only me. And then you're fed. Uh and then Jamie goes, I gotta go tell Cersei and Brian's like, You better you might as well just jump in the river. Let me see what if I can figure out that you're fed. Oh Jamie's like, there was only that was only one dragon. She's got two more. Oh, and now Brian goes, You're effed. that's what F E D means. Uh and Jamie's like, What do you mean you're? And Brian goes, I'm not dealing with any dragons, I'm no fool. And then we get another great quiet moment. The seasons had these wonderful quiet moments. Five forty-five. Uh, Jamie's sitting on the shore alone, and we pull in. The camera pulls into his back, just watching uh, the smoke and the fire. Really, like mood setting. I guess, for, especially I didn't realize it for his journey this episode, or the journey I'm going to project onto him. Uh, then we have Tyrion walking through, uh, the ash, uh, uh, a bit like, uh, like, um, what was that? Uh, I don't know. It's like, he's walking through the, uh, ash and then there's a meeting up at the big rock with the big dragon, Drogan. and there's lots of dragon sound effects and, uh, Khaleesi Strait with the Lannister soldiers. Uh, she's like I'm well aware of the xenophobia stuff Seriously, she's paddling, and that's not me. She goes, that's just like uh, what she's telling you. She goes, you bend the knee, I'm gonna take that big wheel that keeps on turning, and uh, you know, break it, uh, make this world a better place. Uh, so she says, who's in? Uh, then the dragon yells, and everyone but the Tarleys and some of the Tarley loyalists kneel. And big, big Tarly, whatever his name is, big, big jerk Tarly says, we don't kneel. Uh, we're buying with Khaleesi or Circe selling. And he says, I have a queen. And by the way, she was born in Westeros and lived here. And I said, holy like uh, it is just good, wild. The, uh, intersections here. And Tyrion calls him out. He says, uh, it wasn't your queen last week, uh, And uh, Charlie goes, well, uh, you know, then he turns to xenophobia stuff. And then Dickens says, I love my dad and I'm, you know, I have the same pride my dad has. And Khaleesi goes, well, that's not going to work out too well. You got a choice. Go ahead and make your choice. Uh, And uh, she goes, "Okay, that's it. Uh, Charlie's out and. Tyrion tries at least two or three times to, like, uh, intervene on his behalf and get a lighter deal. You I wonder how subtle this is. This is some sort of subtle, uh, royal, like, uh, people with royal blood. Uh, like, is this some sort of self-preservation thing that we're going to see? Like, a little tiny string where uh, Tyrion's like, well, I'm not comfortable watching. royal. Like, these are the royals. Uh, I'm a royal. They're royals. Uh, let's get a little nice, you know Uh, the world was a 0.01% or whatever. Also, this is a little humor I put in here. It's good thing. Sam has that sword. Uh, Like, uh, uh, anyway, I mean, for real, and he's, uh, he's still a Tarly and he's the best Tarly in my book. Also, uh, yeah, seriously, says, I mean, uh, Khaleesi says they made a choice at 1102. Uh, Dragon tail is on screen. It is so cool great effect holy cow great touch really like they didn't have to put it on there and they did and it was wonderful so then the Tarleys are out everyone else everyone else is like okay we're with you khaleesi and khaleesi has her ice cold look and Tyrion has a Tyrion's worried look uh and then we see jamie walking fast in a hallway that's another thing for this season jamie and halls. Season six, I mean, that could be, like, a, I think enough people would, watch. he's a handsome man. Like, like I, I haven't looked at his behind, but uh, I guess I have all season walking down halls. And he rushes by Clyburn, and there's two Clyburn moments uh, that I didn't quite, uh, I mean, I guess it makes sense in the end. Uh, but he, he seriously says, how many men did we lose? And Jamie's like, we haven't accounted, and we haven't done an accounting yet. Uh, and Cersei's like, no worries, we'll buy some more soldiers. Uh, we got the gold stuff, and we got the loan stuff. And Jamie's like, not with the dra- Dothraki. Uh that's not gonna work. Uh, also, there's dragons. By the way, did you, did you hear about the dragons? Because that's a pretty big deal. And really, some high level performing by Cersei. Uh, she says, uh, like this scene in a later scene, the later scene is just like spectacular, like almost on the level when her and Olana are alone, uh, like one or two seasons ago. But she says, what are we going to do? Sue for peace? And he says, well, sort of, uh, he goes, uh, or what, she goes, what sort of offer do you think, uh, she would make with her dragons? Uh. And then Jamie tells on a lot, uh, and Cersei's like, uh, wasn't that, what, w- w- oh, she doesn't even buy it. She, he goes, yeah, with, uh, Joff, she's the one who, uh, ruined Joff's wedding, not Tyrion. And she goes, oh, so kind that you gave her that wine then. And, uh, and Jamie's like, who would you want your kid to marry, Joffrey or Tommen? And then he, like, makes an excuse, like, like, I mean, to, to control. And Cersei sits there. She's chilled. Like, and I don't mean like chill, like we're kicking back with a joint. Like, I mean, chill, chilled. And she says, I shouldn't have listened to you. And I think I wrote, I know my choice, but I'm going to see if I can pick it out. Like, uh, maybe she said, I know my place. Because she says, we're going to stand and uh, do battle here. And uh, she goes, and a soldier should know his. Yeah, she did say I know my choice and a soldier should know his. And, uh, Jamie, like, it's a heartbroken swallow look. Uh, then we have the return of the dragon and Jon Snow, uh, like, uh, looking pensive out on the bluffs. Uh, Drogon looks uh, spectacular. And, uh, what does this say? Drogon does, oh, Gary, uh, uh, looks like an AD&D cover, which was cool. Does that up to John. Then he sniffs him and John pets him. Khaleesi can't get a good look at what's happening. And at least on the face, it's very elephant-like, uh, The Drogon. Uh, I wonder if he feels like an elephant. And uh, we see Drogon's eye looking at John. And Khaleesi's totally impressed, uh, which will look kind of another thread of this episode. And John's kind of blown away from interacting with the dragon. And Drogon goes into the sky. And Khalees like, beautiful, aren't they? He goes, oh, yeah, but, uh, not what I was thinking. They're be- beautiful beasts. She goes, they're my children. Uh, they're beautiful to me. And John goes, hey, you weren't gone very long. She's like, nope. Uh, and he goes, and so, and she goes, yep, less bad guys to deal with now. And John goes "Eh, uh, like kind of like Tyrion, and she goes, you know what? Like uh, sometimes strength is terrible, John, and you you know that from last season. And he goes, "Eh." and she goes. By the way, what's up with that uh, uh, Davos creeping out my uh, interpreter? One, Uh, two, or like uh, is he gonna not mansplain anything this episode? And three. Did he say something about you and your heart? And he's like, "Oh, it's just a figure of speech." She goes, N-, she goes, I'm the Khaleesi, bro." And then they're interrupted, and there's a sweet uh, Dothraki reveal of Sir Jorah. This felt like a Star Wars trailer, to be honest. I don't know when like they started recording all the cool stuff on bluffs, but dude, keep keep it up. As we'll see at the end of the episode, there's nothing that, like, the only thing that looks better than, uh, dudes on bluffs and Khaleesi's on bluffs is, uh, like in the blizzard to blizzard snow. Yeah, you think if Sir Jorah would only stay on bluffs and snow, he would have had a chance getting out of the friend zone. Yeah, but holy friend zone, Jorah's, Sir Jorah's back, he kneels right away, he sees John and she goes, this is my old friend, uh. And she goes, you look strong. And, you know, this is got a little bit, even though this is a great reunion, it still is a little heartbreaking on Jorah's behalf. And she goes, you got that dragon scale dealt with? He goes, it wouldn't be here if I didn't. And, uh, he goes, I'm here to return if you'll have me. And, uh, she goes, as a friend, I'll have you back. Uh, and John frowns, uh, and, uh, also there's like a couple, I don't know if, like, uh, so I might as well propose this right now. Uh, and the third watch of this episode this morning, uh, there's a lot of, uh, like a lot of looks from Sir Jorah. So I don't know if he's a proxy for the audience, uh, in the, like the audience that might be doubtful about John and Khaleesi's burgeoning attraction or if he just doesn't want to be in the friend zone, but like he gives a lot of looks, which I think would be like how a lot of audience members are. Like I don't buy, like I'm not buying into this. I'm not down with this, uh, or whatever. So I, that was just a question I had, uh, you see a like, I guess we'll see over the next two episodes or maybe he's not. Yeah. But so then, uh, brand in the, we see the crow patrol brands on the, uh, Crow Patrol, and he sends the crows past the wall, through the mountains, into the mist, uh, and we see a lot of people from the north uh, with the uh, walkers on the hill. They break up the Crow Patrol, and Brian comes out of it, and the maester's standing right there, and Bran goes, send the, send the ravens, yo. Then there's a meeting in Old Town of all the maesters, and uh, they're talking about prophecies of doom. And just like any, like, university or whatever, there's always, like, a mutton chop, like, know-it-all, that's got, like, this cynical humor. And I like to call it intellectual bullying myself, but, you know, let's not not go down that road. But that dude's not on my favorites list. Uh, And they're talking about a magical three-eyed raven and a kid how bad the north is, maybe it dulled the maester's wits with the, the cold, the drink and the company. And, uh, Sam's like, I know three eyed Raven named Bran. And they go, yeah, it's a bit much. Uh, and then the, the his, his main guy, his, his kind of, uh, the main maester, the arch uh, says, and what do you want, Charlie? He goes, well, that kid survived north of the wall for like years. Uh, so something's going on and, uh, Sam's, he says, w- what should we do? Per- perhaps, uh, what does it say? Perhaps. And then mutton chop says, perhaps you need more transcribing. And then, uh, this is like, this is another scene like, uh, talking about current events. I'm positive it is, uh, but different than cold, more warm current events, uh, Sam says, maesters are trusted. If you tell everyone the threat is real, like, people believe it and take you seriously. And Archmaester says, it could be done. It's possible. And this could all be true. Or, you know, this is over a lot. Or it could be a ploy by the Dragon Queen. You know, that there's magic birds and, uh, uh, all that, uh. And Sam says, Come on, please, it's real, for sure, Archmaester. And Archmaester says, Well, we'll get clarification from the dude up there, Wolken. And then they make it then they kick Sam out, and then they make some jokes. Let me see the jokes about uh they say, Remember Jenny of Old Stones, who was the charlatan from The Children of the Forest and Lotos, and they have a laugh. Prophet Lotos, oh boy. Yeah, uh, who said they they the laugh at lotos? Uh, so that was good. And then he leaves, and they say, "Well, he's a good kid, actually." And then we see a scroll, tap tap tapping, and it's Varys. It's, uh, he has a scroll. Tyrion and Varys drank, uh, and I think they're doing moral equiv- equivocation or equivocation or whatever. I talk about it in the facts, or I will. Uh, Because Varys is, I'm only a purveyor of information, you know, I wasn't really doing anything wrong. As Tyrion's trying to unpack, you know, the Khaleesi and how to control her. And he goes, well, she's not really her father. Uh, And, and you know, then Varys is like, you got to make her listen. And there is a theory I have or suspicion, like, that will bring up now. Is Varys on the inside? Because... uh, uh, like like, where's Clyburn getting his information from or is that just a coincidence uh so it's just something i want to sit i put out there uh they don't i don't suspect virus until this but this was strange i mean in the red woman weirding him out doesn't help uh but uh he goes what's that scroll he goes oh it's from the north uh and uh, Tyrion says, what does it say? He goes, it's a sealed scroll for the king of the north. Uh, and then there's like another nice beat of uh, quiet. And Tyrion goes, yeah, right. What does it say? And he goes, nothing good. Then we cut to the Jon holding the scroll. And he goes, geez, I thought Ari and Bran were gone. Uh, but, you know, this says they're around. And Khaleesi says, I'm happy for you. And John goes, I got to go home. Uh, and Khaleesi goes, you don't have the troops to, to go home. And he does this move. Anybody uh, anybody's like, I think he's good at it because he's John Snow. But he goes, oh, we'll be fine, Khaleesi. We don't need all your soldiers and dragons and stuff. You know, I'm just going to go. And she, you can see this whole scene. There's a lot of looks exchanged. And uh, if you watched her drawer, a lot of humor in this scene, too. Uh, but then like, uh, like he says, well, what else am I going to do? And she goes, well, I got to deal with, uh, Cersei, And then Tyrion says, perhaps not, maybe we could prove her wrong and bring down one of the North, uh, dudes to her. Like, is that possible? And they say, well, like, uh, it's possible, but we'd need to get to, get to her. We need an audience. Maybe Jamie. And then at 2650, they say, well, how would we even get into King's Landing? Uh, and everyone turns to Davos. It was really funny. And Davos says, well, I could do it, um, but I'm not a fighter. That comes up a lot. Uh, and they go, well, how do you propose to go get somebody? And then uh, Sir Jorah says, with the Queen's permission, like I'll go do it. And this is where, it, like, like I could say that it's clear that the, uh, Daenerys' feelings towards, uh, John, it, you know, with his whole self sacrifice routine. Uh, cause Davos says, well, Sir Jorah, he goes, the free folk aren't going to follow Sir Jorah. And John goes, they won't have to, man. Uh, we're, we're going to be on it. Uh, and Khaleesi, she's really like, uh, she seems uh enthralled, I would say. She she like uh and there's also like a lot of looks from Jorah at her looks. Uh let's see, it's rolling right now. This is where Jorah says it, and then John says, Yeah, the free folk will help us. Uh, they know the north. Uh and he goes, Yeah, they won't have to. Even Davos looks at John. But yeah, Khaleesi's face, her lips just part. And she's breathing, they're both making serious eye contact. And I was like you can't do that. That's too heroic, man. And he goes, I know it. Uh and then we see Khaleesi. She goes, I haven't given you permission. He goes, I don't need permission from you or anybody. He goes, I trusted you as a stranger. And uh, like because I wanted to, you know, I could I took a risk in trusting you. Now I need you to take a risk in trusting me, a stranger or formerly a stranger, uh, because I got we got to help everybody. And uh, like, uh, you know, it it really like uh, there's now there's a pull into Scalise. Like now she's got a poker face on and she's sinking and then she moves her eyes to Tyrion. And he says, well, it was the only way, kind of his look, uh, and she nods. A lot of breathing, a lot of throat movement. Didn't see Sir Jorah's looks there, though. Uh, Then we have trouble in Winterfell. Uh, Everybody's like, we should have chose you, Sansa. Uh, All our knights came from the Vale for you, uh, Lady Stark. Uh, And she goes, yo, Jon's the king, not me. And Arya's watching, no one's happy. Arya grins it seemed like Sansa like I really feel for Sansa in this situation I don't know why like uh and to be honest Arya is one of my favorite characters but uh I don't know I'm getting a twinge twinge with Arya so then Sansa and Arya are walking the halls and Sansa's like this isn't easy and Arya's like you didn't stand up for John." and then they go into the room she's like WTF this is a mom and dad's room you're sleeping in here and uh, Sansa says, is that a problem? And she goes, never mind. And Sansa says, well, tell me which, what the problem is uh, and uh, tell me what you mean. But uh, Arya takes that, so let me be mean. She goes, you always wanted nice things and to be, you know, like on Tiger Bee posters and uh, you just sat there. That's when she said uh, you didn't stand up for John. And Sansa's like, you weren't here. Like, it wasn't easy. We had to work as a team. And, like, they just didn't quite get this scene. Like, I think it'll pay off. It makes sense. Uh, yeah, But she's like, work together. Arya's like, yeah, that's just what you really want. And even Arya's, Sansa's like, what? Like, uh, and maybe there's some truth. Uh, you know, that Sansa's still a social climber. But, uh, she's, I feel like this is like this question that maybe will be answered. I guess like, like there's still more to uncover in the episode. So I'll talk about it in a few minutes, I guess. Yeah. But then Arya goes, "Milady," and she's out. Uh, uh, then we see King's Landing and Davos and Tyrion pull up and he's like, last time, you know, I, I dealt with my dad and Davos is like, well, it's the last time you dealt with my son. And Davos goes, uh, like, puts a spike in the ground instead of an anchor, and uh, they say, "Well, Jesus so like he uh, goes, just go up the steps and sneak in." And Tyrion goes, "Where are you going?" He goes, "I got my own business in Flea Bottom. You got me own business." Uh, and Tyrion's like, well, "What about the boat?" He goes, uh, "If it's what if it's gone?" And then <laughs> Davos goes, "Then we're aft, man. So you best hurry." And then we're below the castle and uh, with Bronn and he's like, let's get training, Jamie. He's got a torch. And Jamie's like, why? Like, not right now. We got stuff to do. He goes, oh, no, no. He goes, yeah, let's get practicing. You're out of shape. And he goes, uh, and Jamie goes, okay. And he goes, well, let's get swinging. And he goes, oh, no, you're not swinging at me. And then he's like, here's your brother Tyrion. And, uh, Tyrion like kind of opens with, geez, Jamie, you really outsmarted me You're three steps ahead of me. Father would have been proud. Jamie looks in a wonderful way, terrible in this scene. Uh, like he's really sunk. Uh, and he, cause he really is uh, like, uh, like his belief systems kind of crumbled. Uh, cause he's always just seemed to believe in Circe and, uh. But, you know, she knows, that she knows, don't worry. She's a lot smarter than, than I am. So, but I really love how they made him look, uh, in the acting. Really, really wonderful stuff. Uh, but he says, uh, well, geez, I'm, am a sick of you, man. Like, like I told you, if I saw you again, I would give you a spanking. Yeah. Jamie looks so exhausted and torn, triple explanation point, uh, he goes, Yeah, I was going to. And Tyrion goes, It'll take a while with the sparring sword. And Tyrion tries to get a little bit of vindication and connection with him, like with personal stuff. And Jamie goes, Personal stuff? What do you want? Uh, and he goes, I want you to agree with, to certain terms. Uh, Jamie goes, Bend the knee. And he seriously won't do that. He goes, Not right now. We got more important things. And then we cut to Sword Street or Sword, like uh, Steel Street or something. Uh, Davos is on the prowl at 3315 in the background. A dude puts on a barrel backpack. Uh, I thought that was sweet. Uh, I'm sure those will be hitting the streets of uh, where I live, Oakland and Alameda and Brooklyn soon. Barrel backpack, you know, carry your stuff. It won't get, you know, it's protective. You could cool keep cool drinks in there it's a backpack, it's a barrel, it's a barrel backpack, you know, sustainable wood. Uh, but he said, then the says, I wasn't sure this one we could kind of see coming. I mean, also if you watch the credits, you saw the dude's name, but, uh, he says, I wasn't sure I'd find you here. And then there's a Gendry reveal, which I was wondering how this was going to occur. And it seems like it occurred organically because of the story telling process, which is cool. Instead of being a shock, uh, like a reversal. So I, I like it this way they in, introduced Gendry back in and to, to have says, I thought you'd be rolling, row, still rowing. And he you know, Gendry says, you look awful, man. And he goes, nothing asks you like time does, man. And he says, you been in any trouble? He goes, yeah, no. He goes, well, uh, trouble's a, a, a permanent state or something. Or something. I don't know. I can't read my handwriting. Any trouble? Nope. Uh, or so, so, like safeties and in, in never present state or something. And he goes. I think I gotta talk to you about going on. And Gendry's like, Let's go. He goes. Well, I was gonna try to convince you to come. He goes. Yeah. Let's. Let's. I got my bag ready. I've been ready. I've been waiting. And then he goes. I'm gonna bring a sword. He goes. Uh, Davos goes. Bring a sword. He goes. No. I got a hammer, man. And then they get down to the boat, and Davis goes, keep everything quiet about yourself. Then he, the gold cloaks come, and he starts calling them Clovis. Uh, then he goes back to his old tricks. He pays off the guards. He goes, is it still uh, five gold dragons? And he goes, no, it's 15 now a apiece. Uh, and they go, what's in the boat? He goes, fermented crab, not more gold, he says. And he goes, Fermented Crab, uh, which is like their version of Viagra. He goes, It'll put a hole in your chain mail. And then Tyrion shows up and Gendry has to handle things. Uh, and he, he, Davis goes, This is Gendry. And Tyrion goes, He'll do. Uh, then we see Jamie walking. He walks in on Cersei and Clyburn. And Clyburn goes, Sir Jamie? And uh, do, you, do or who? And I can't read my writing, but it'll come up. This is a great, great scene. Oh, they were talking about something. They were whispering. I couldn't tell if uh, that'll do or something. Uh, and he goes, what's he doing in here? And she goes, he's the Hand of the Queen. Why are you here? And at 4040, uh, she gives a look on Tyrion. She sits down. She's, uh, he goes, I was meeting with Tyrion. Uh, so she, her look gets matched by his look. Uh, and then there's like he does, he moves his head to give her another look. Uh, and she goes, what did our brother have to say? It was such a wonderfully delivered line. And he goes, uh, you know, Daenerys wants to meet in uh, armistice. Uh, and Cersei goes, why would she? And he goes, well, there's an army from the North of, uh, trouble and Tyrion's got proof. And she laughs, uh, and nods, looks around, laughs again. She goes, are you going to punish him? And Jamie goes, who? And she goes, Bronn, he betrayed you. What did our brother have to say? I love that line. And she goes, I know everything that happens to this city, dude. And then Jamie goes, why? And she goes, well, this will be good for us. We can get sneaky. We can get crafty. This will be in our immediate interests, just like father. We're going to fight just like father would. And then another classic line, uh, dead men, dragons, and dragon queens. Whatever stands in our way, we'll beat it. Uh, We'll defeat it for ourselves, for our house, and for this bun I got up in my oven. And then Jamie's belief system is restored, I guess. Uh, She's like, I'm praggers. And Jamie's back in it. Uh, He's just so relieved, I think, even to have something to believe in again. uh, Maybe. He looks a little conflicted, but also happy. He goes, well, people aren't going to like that. Uh, You can tell them who the father is? She goes, oh, yeah. And she goes, remember what father would say. The lion uh, lion doesn't care what the sheep say or something. uh, And they hug. And... uh, he goes, never betray me again. And Jamie, like, at first he's happy. He kind of still has a little bit of a shock to look on his face. Like, oh, boy, am I in trouble. Which, yeah, I mean, come on, dude. Yeah, then we have Clovis uh, and uh, uh, Davos. He says, make sure you go by Clovis. Don't harass John. He's like a celebrity around here. Don't admit, you know, don't. And then Gendry goes, I'm Robert's son, Gendry, uh, bastard's son. And they kind of share a few moments talking about their dads and how they didn't really know them or, you know, Gendry didn't. And then, I don't know, they have a moment and Gendry's like, I'm in this thing. And he goes, well, what about a sword? He goes, I prefer a hammer. And Davos is like, well, I prefer to be a coward for a minute, uh, you know, an, an old, uh, he goes, again, I can't fight really good, uh. And then, what does it say? Like, this is literally what my handwriting says. I will interpret it Gendry, I can't watch. Nobody mink one. I mean, I assume it's I like can't wait. And nobody mink one, though. No. But he's like, uh, Davis is like, Gendry can handle himself. Uh, uh, you know, he's got the hammer thing. Coward for a minute. Uh, this is what they're talking. Well, there's no problem. Or for a hammer. Yeah, John looks at Davos. Yeah, he can handle himself here. Davos has got quite the eyebrows. Uh, John says, "Yeah, we could use the help." Uh, and this is it better be for a coward for a minute than uh, at the big farm. Maybe to the like Gendry's like you're double my father figure. You're my, and then Davos is like you're my son figure. Can't wait out this war. Oh, Davos says, yeah, nobody mind me. All I've ever done is live to a ripe old age. Nobody mink one. Nobody mind me. Okay, then they push, they're push. they starting to push the boats out and say their goodbyes. And uh, Tyrion goes up to Jorah. He goes, uh, I'm going to miss you, man. Nobody hours like you. He goes, this is the coin we bought our freedom with. Uh, bring it with you, but bring it back. And then we have another moment like with uh Joran Khaleesi. She says farewell. It's kinda of painful for me. I guess as somebody like that truly does end up in the has been like in the friend zone a bunch of times, like uh it's like holy cow, like uh you just you feel for Jorah, like uh it's like uh it, I don't know, it just it just is uh but he kisses her hands uh, as he sees his rival John. And John's kind of glib because he's not in the front zone he 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 can afford to be glib uh but yeah again, I don't know I don't know where this is going, that's why I love this show so much uh, I don't know where we're being led, especially with this with the Sirjor stuff and with the aria stuff, at least the sirjor stuff it's just uh so operatic so operatic in a way, but John goes, yo, I'm rolling out if if I don't come back, you don't gotta worry about me." And I got to tell you, when the Khaleesi's in love, she looks a hundred times more beautiful. And I'm not just saying that. Like this scene, it was just something about, uh, like, uh, she goes, I've grown used to the king in the north. Uh, and I, I was like, uh, so was just great acting. Uh, cause I fell in love with the Khaleesi being in love. Uh, and then Jorah kind of stares back one last look, uh. Then we have Sam and Gilly, 4730, uh, could have been an episode of sleep with me. Gilly's like listing off facts about steps in the Citadel and how many windows were in the, 15782, steps in the Citadel. How many windows in the Sept of Baylor? Uh, I don't know if she answers this. Let's find out. Uh, Sam's like, there's no windows, there's zero and she's reading this book by High Septon Maynard, which seemed like it was important because it was talking about Aegon. But uh, Sam gets uh, so fed up. He goes, uh, This is it's hero time. He goes, Give this book to the kid. I'm going to thieve some books. So there's great music. And he's really had a great season. I've been really happy like with the story they've given him. And it's been essential, I guess, uh, to the overall story. But he like uh, steals all the books. And then he, st- again, a nice moment. He stops and looks back at the library, and he kind of lets his future and his dreams go in a heroic way. He's the heroic Charlie. We already, I mean, we already knew that. Yeah, uh, but he says goodbye to the library, and they packs up their cart. Uh, and Gilly's like, "Are you sure about this?" And he goes, "I'm tired of reading." Which every librarian in the world said, what? He goes, "Enough reading about heroic acts. Uh, you know, I get to do heroic acts. And then we have this other threat with Arya. It's Winterfell. There's whispers going on with Baelish and people. And Arya's watching from the shadows. Baelish has got super long sleeves. Uh, he really looks like a Sith Lord. I mean, for seasons he has. Uh, I mean, I guess you could say the same like... Uh, like uh, Like his Sansa, like his Padawan, but, uh, hope not. And he meets with old Breastplate and the Maester and uh, like even the Maester are talking and then Baelish goes into his room, locks up, uh, with this uh, scroll that is the only copy. And uh, Arya busts in his room. Now I have to like, uh, so, well, I'll tell you what happened then I'll talk about it. Arya busts in his room, searches this place. He's got tons of paper products, uh, and scrolls and stuff. So I don't know if he's researching a book or what, uh, but she finds the scroll. And I even put I mean, come on. But uh it said something about from Sansa about swearing fealty to Joffrey, I think. Uh and Sansa gets a look and then she leaves the room, but Baelish is watching the whole time from the shadows. And this is my thing. Like I like she's a faceless person now, so I don't buy that uh I just don't know, like, I hope that uh, she would be to have teamed up with Brienne and that she's not getting paid, play, like, they're playing Baelish. I mean, that's the Baelish move I talked about. Like, you really gotta, so maybe they are following that, which is, like, you let yourself, uh, you let Baelish think he's playing you to play Baelish, but I think Baelish would even know that, but whatever, like, uh, he's trying to stir up trouble, it's clear, uh, that he's, he has machinations going on. So I don't know how this is going to turn out. And I also don't know who Baelish is really loyal to. I mean, he even says it's his obsession with Kate, Kate and, uh, Sansa, but I don't even buy that. Also like what's up with the sleeves? Like, that's just not a good idea. I mean, I guess for keeping warm, it is, but, uh, I guess it's like a sleeve scarf. Anything else? Any other comments? And I think that's it. Uh, Then we see the boats land. We see Eastwatch by the sea. We see Tormund. Uh, Tormund's back in town. And they're having a meeting. He goes, aren't you guys supposed to talk John out of these crazy ideas? Or he says that to Davos. Davos goes, "Uh, well, I'm failing at that. And he goes, which queen are you trying to deal with? The one that uh, sleeps with her brother or the one with their dragons? And uh, John's like, both. Uh, and he goes, how many men you got? He goes, this many. And then he goes, and the big woman, And his eyebrow goes up. It was such a, a, a brilliant. And this was a little bit overkill because this is like the third time Davos, uh, like, uh, they got bad feelings for Davos because he's getting it, like, he goes, I'm a liability. And Tormund goes, yes, you are. Uh, so Tormund's like, geez, well, you're not the only ones trying to get north of the wall. And then at uh fifty-five forty-five, we have this great scene, really one of the great Game of Thrones scenes ever. Uh, they go down and uh, like locked up, uh, the hound's laying there. And Jan goes, you're the hound. Uh the Hound stands up, all irritated, uh, and uh, John goes, "Yeah, I saw you once." Uh, the Hound's like, "Yeah, w- well, w- what up?" Uh, and then Tormund's like, "They want to go beyond the Wall," and and then Barric Dondarrion's like, "We don't, we don't want to. We got to go back beyond the Wall." And Gendry goes, "These guys sold me to a witch. Uh, you can't trust them." Uh, they're the worst. And then Davos, uh, or no, uh, yeah, this is where it gets, uh, it gets complicated. Uh, uh, Jorah sees Soros Amir and he goes, Soros, what's up? And Soros is like, dude, I'm, I can't drink in here and it's cold. It's the worst. And then Tormund goes, you're a Mormon. He goes, that, that guy was the Lord commander. He hated it. Uh, North, Northern people, uh. And him and Jorah kind of has to have a moment. Uh, and then uh, Don Darien says, Here we all are all together at the same moment, heading the same direction for the same reason. And then Davos goes, Well, not technically the reasons are different. He goes, Okay, the reasons are different. But uh, he goes, he says, Don't you think there's a greater purpose at work and we serve it together? Starts pacing around whether we know it or not. Uh, he goes, and then the hound goes, would you be quiet? Are we going north or what? Uh, and John goes, don't you want to know what we're doing? And Thoro Samir goes, it's better than sitting in a cell freezing. And John goes, he's right. We're all on the same side. And everyone's like, what are you talking about? He goes, we're all breathing. We're all in this together. And Tormund even pats John. He says, all right, bro, here's the keys. And then we have this classic hero scene. I mean, this is like an homage and new of them leaving the castle. The gates are opening the blizzard. And I got to tell you, like, uh, never considered Jorah, uh, handsome, but he looks pretty good. Like, uh, in this scene, like a bit like a, a old Han Solo on Hoth. I mean, he's got those steely blue eyes. If the Khaleesi could see him, uh, uh, like he, like he might have a chance, he might have a chance just to, from this scene. And, uh, everyone looks very heroic except for the hound and Thoro Samir is getting drunk and the hounds looking grouchy and they march out, uh, into history. I, I think, and it just a wonderful way to end the episode. Really? Uh, I mean, of course I would have wanted another 45 minutes, but, uh, Yeah, they head out into the, like, into the blizzard, and uh, the episode ends. Okay, so we'll talk about some of the facts that came up in this episode. Uh, The opening scene reminded me of this Neil Young song, which is one of my favorite songs of all time. Uh, And it goes a little something like this. uh, Old man lying by the side of the road with lorries rolling by. Blue moon sinking from the weight of the load as the buildings scrape the sky. Cold wind ripping down the alley at dawn, and the morning paper flies. Uh, something man lying by the side of the road with the daylight in his eyes. Uh, don't let it bring you down. It's only castles burning. Find someone who's turning, and you will come around. A blind man running through the light of the night with an answer in his hand. Come on down to the River of Sight and you can really understand. Red lights flashing through the window in the rain. Can you hear the sirens moan? White cane lying in a gutter in the lane if you're walking home alone. Uh, Don't let it bring you down. It's only castles burning. Uh, Just find someone who's churning and you will come around. So it's just like a Neil Young song I love. And, uh, it, uh, the actual, it's, it you know, it means something different, but, uh, I don't know. It just reminded me of that. Uh, then we had, you know, Bran was on Snow Patrol with the Ravens. Then we had real Snow Patrol at the end. And then I said, isn't there, wasn't there a rapper uh, who did a song, Informer, wasn't in that Snow Patrol? And ends up no. So let's get some clarification on some of these different uh, famous. Uh, there's three famous uh, snows. Yeah. Uh, first off is the rapper or musician snow, according to uh, Wikipedia, uh, Darren Kenneth O'Brien, a Canadian reggae artist who is known for his 92 sing- single "Informer," which is a song I sing to myself sometimes every once in a while, un- incorrectly and he was born in toronto uh and uh, let's see uh you know he's had so he's had a lot of ups and downs uh uh he i guess he uh, dj marvin prince uh he met, and uh he uh, also some legal disputes uh with marvin prince and he's been an international success since uh, the 1990s uh collaborated with Cindy Lauper, even. So, uh, yeah, so that's Snow uh, from Informer. Now, Snow Patrol, on the other hand, is a northern Irish-Scottish rock band. Uh, Gary Lightbody, Nathan Conley, Paul Wilson, Johnny Quinn, uh, Johnny McNa- McDade, and they're an indie rock band uh, that rose to prominence in the mid-2000s as part of the Britpop movement. Yeah, They met at the University of Dundee. And, uh, yeah, well, you guys know Britpop uh, and uh, hit single, Chasing Cars. That was their hit single. And not a lot of other good facts that I have about them. Now, what about uh, Snow Job? I mean, that's a saying, but this is a G.I. Joe character. And this was a G.I. Joe character my brother got for Christmas, and I was kind of upset about it. Uh, He's a snow-based G.I. Joe character. And there's some good facts. A fictional character. Oh, boy, it's fictional. Snow Job from G.I. Joe toy line. Uh, He's the original Arctic Trooper. His real name, Harlan W. Moore, he's a Staff Sergeant E6, was born in West Rutland, Vermont, a uh, major Olympic biathlon. It's crazy I have more facts about him. Uh, but he was an Olympic biathlon contender who enlisted for special training and support privileges the Army gives to Olympic champions. It's been suggested he got his nickname from being a con artist, uh, uh, that more than his military specialty on the Arctic ski patrol, yeah, unlike some of the envi- other environmental specialists on the GI Joe team, a uh, snow job doesn't thrive on the cold. But he accepts the chilly environments. Uh, They're the best place to show his incredible skills. Uh, he can ski down a steep, uh, steep slope. Uh, he's a marksman. And, uh, no one wants to be on the receiving end of one of snow job scams. I guess like, Oh, that's a snow job, like a con job. Uh, and he's a haze new recruits, uh, but never outrageous. Uh, just a way to keep his teammates perceptive and aware. So that's a snow job. Yeah. My brother, Carl got him for Christmas. I wanted him. I think I got snake eyes who was actually cooler. And uh, the dude that came with the dog, dog guy or something. Pit or something but uh I, I like I used my brother's snow job to um uh recreate uh scenes from a view to a kill when I was in like sixth grade, which I shouldn't have been still playing with toys apparently uh that's how you get into the friend zone uh that's one sign you'll be in the friend zone later in life uh proven proven by my imagination the no longer you play with toys, but who's laughing now uh <laughs> okay, let's let's do another song. I think Dolly Parton probably say, sings my favorite uh, version, but it was written by uh, Jackie DeShannon, Jimmy Holiday, and Randy Myers. And this is a song we could use, and uh, I don't know. Uh, I think it was like, oh, making the world a better place. Like, it comes up a few times in this episode. Put a little love in your heart. Think of your fellow person... Uh, Lend them a helping hand. Put a little love in your hearts. Uh, Rewritten by Scoots. Uh, You see it's getting late. Oh, please don't hesitate. Put a little love in your hearts. And the world will be a better place. And the world will be a better place for you and me. You just wait and see. Another day goes by and still the children cry. Put a little love in your hearts. If you want the world to know. We won't let hatred grow. Put a little love in your hearts. And the world will be a better place. And the world will be a better place for you and me. You just wait and see. Uh, Take a good look around. And if you're looking down, put a little love in your hearts. And I hope when you decide, kindness will be your guide. Put a little love in your hearts. And the world will be a better place. And the world will be a better place for you and me. You just wait and see. Put a little love in your heart. Each and every day. Put a little love in your heart. There's got to be a better way. Put a little love in your heart. Uh, don't you think it's time we start, Dolly? You're right. To put a little love in our hearts. And the last thing I want to talk about, uh I thought there was one more thing, but uh, moral equivalence. There was a. Uh, I, I I was thinking that maybe Tyrion and Varys were practicing moral equivalence, but then I said, "Scoots, do you know what moral equivalence is?" I said, "Well, that's great, a great question, Scoots. Uh, let's look it up." Uh, this is over at the Logic Place uh, over at yandu.wordpress.com uh, from August thirteenth, twenty fifteen. Uh, by uh, it's referencing Gene Kirkpatrick, but I don't see a uh, an author. So it's just, uh, I guess the author would be a logical place. Uh, moral equivalence is a form of equiv- equivocation used in political debates, drawing comparisons between different, even unrelated things to make a point that one is just as bad as the other, or one is just as good as the other. Uh, Drawing a moral equivalence in this way is an informal fallacy and a special case of false equivalence. Uh, Quoting still, a common manifestation of this fallacy is a claim often made for ideological ideological motives that both sides are equally to blame uh, for a conflict. Historical studies show that this is rarely the case. Uh, Conflicts are usually started by one side. Uh, with or without provocation from the other side. And uh, an early popularizer of this expression was Gene Kirkpatrick, ambassador of the United Nations during the Reagan administration, uh, who wrote uh, The Myth of Moral Equivalence in 1986. Uh, so that's uh, that's interesting. And uh, maybe they were because they were kind of say, well, I don't know. I think it was maybe a little bit different than that, uh, but not too much difference. And, uh, with that, uh, I think the last thing was glowering, which I looked up, uh, but it didn't uh, show up in the notes here, but you know, it's basically what I do all the time. It's a feud face, uh, glowering is a feud face. Uh, so, but it, I, I wanted to share cause it in the Google, if you Google it, it shows that it, like it was peak in like, uh, the early 1900s, it's usage, uh, all right, uh, uh let's keep the show going. Okay, Budman. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls and friends beyond the binary Cape Outs listeners, we now inter- interrupt your Especially, uh we specially interrupt your special shows uh for this message from Cape Outs Radio and the team at Cape Outs Radio. Remember you're listening to Cape Outs, the radio of cats and boys that are best friends everywhere. Oh, in and, and boys and girls and cats and friends beyond the binary, please, Podman, remember that. Uh, jeepers creepers, thanks, though. Thanks, I'm, this is uh, Professor Berlinghoff, or Isringhauser, whatever. I don't have my name, Podman. Okay, Tom, just go. Well, how am I supposed to remember my name? Just get in the character. Okay, let's take a breath. Okay. Your your professor Burlinghoff or Erlinghausen Burlinghoff is great uh, for now. Maybe that and if we get it wrong, we'll just go oh, okay. Yeah, but get on the mic. Okay, hello. This is Erlinghausen Burlinghoff, a professor from you. You may remember me as a guy that got got a uh, temporarily displaced by uh, Jean Luc Picard. Inventor. Uh, a genius, and I'm here with my best friend and partner in business and life, Gene. Gene, say hello. Thanks, Gene. And we're here working with Cape Ounce Radio, uh, trying to find solutions for these modern times you people live in. And Gene and I have been, you know, I've traveled the universe and also traveled your towns and villages and, and said to myself, uh, I've heard many people, now many hucksters and oil salesmen and things, and they say, oh, well, this is a solution uh, for being healthy. They call You call it exercise. I call it a, a waste. Uh, when someone you know, when somebody could carry you, or a spaceship, or as I travel time and space, just waiting the day that I'll teach Jean-Luc Picard a lesson, uh, for thinking he got the upper hand on me and sending my spaceship back. Uh when it when my book comes out, uh like uh was, uh I don't have the second half of the title yet because uh someone can't even give me a script with my name on it. Uh but hello, I'm uh also this is Prince Tom and hello everybody. I'm again behead, behead, pretending I'm doing my best, pretending a character. Uh, but, but, you know, the pod man's difficult to work with, and that's not Gene, that's Sarpats, Sapa- Sapa- say hello to our friends. Yes, man. That's right, Sarpats, I missed you all, but I like being a character, too. So this is Berlinghofer, Berling, Ber- Ber- is in Berlinghofer, and I want to say to all you, do you spend money with exercise, or do you avoid exercise? Because we here at the Berlinghofer Institute and Cape ounce Radio have a VIP. Now, only if you consider yourself a VIP. Do you think you could, if, if you had had, uh, like, uh, the opportunities that I did to be royal, that's like almost a VIP. I don't know if you consider yourself a VIP, but we're looking for a few VIPs who are tired of the the mundane plebeian ways of exercising, of lifting weights that you purchase or going. I mean, who would go to a place? Oh, goodness, but you could come to our place. Now, here at Cape Outs Radio, you have to come in. This is a real exercise program, supervised, and scientifically brought to you from both the future and the past. And it's an exercise program. We've been we've been long at work because it's so ex- the shipping and the handling. I didn't realize. Uh, anyway, we've developed a, a stringent exercise program. You will come. You will. You will. It is like a camp too. Also like the summer camp in uh, the Munsters. No, no. Uh, well, Adam's family movie. I think I. I think I. I have a crush on. Uh, Oh, sorry, Podman saying stick to the script, that's barely legible. We have, we have, oh, this is special, this just in. Gene, did you, Gene, what did they, what did the engineering room just say? Answer man, 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 man. Oh, yes, this is a very temporary deal. Limited to only, not only VIPs, but people that only can act now. And you'll go to a special, uh, you know, the special uh, exclusive location. Uh, Cash in hand, but prepay before you get here. You need to prepay before you arrive, actually. So no cash in hand unless you drop it off, leave, and then come back. And you might say to yourself, uh, how much is is it worth looking good, uh, feeling good, exercising? What if all my exercise problems could be gone forever? And it could feel like a VIP. Also, you'll in a summer camp where you'll be bunking, drinking water, and maybe eating some things we provide for you. It's occasionally. If, if, if to, no, 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 I don't want them to have my pop tarts, bad But we here at the Burlington Institute have a, have the, the short news is, if you can sign up today, you'll get access to our exercise program. It's the handling uh, in the shipping uh, uh, exercise program. Very exclusive, very effective. Instead of weights, you'll be lifting. Because they say uh, in ex- exercise circles that I run in, you might hear about all these silly things, you know, dancing. How how often do you dance? Uh, but how often do you have to lift a bag? That's called functional strength, believe it or not. Uh, right, Gene? ask, man. Yeah, or a cat that's eaten too much without my permission. If you need to lift those things, like you're a human being doing doing stuff, a human doing being, this may be the exercise program for you, but only if you consider yourself also a VIP. Is that enough of the VIP, Podman? Do you think I got him? Okay, keep going. Yes, yeah, so we've developed a special—you'll be here working, working out, not not working, working out. And uh, until we get you ship-shape, we'll, we'll be doing a special thing. We have uh, filling orders, we call it. Uh, we have uh, ta- cl- taping. Taping. Oh, boy, that is—you know the Karate Kid did, did did things just like this, and see how it worked for him. So proof is in the pudding. You won't have any pudding, but you will be putting things into boxes. Crumbling newspapers. Have you ever seen the forearms of someone that crumbles newspapers four hours a day? Because my, I have been doing it for eight. And I've never looked better. I've never felt better. And I wouldn't give you the opportunity. But again, only if you consider yourself almost royal. You'll join a special, adver- uh, a special packaging, pack- packing stuff for uh, exercise program. And not only that now, you also have to ask yourself, are you a VIP or are you a member of the VIP, VIP program? Because when you go to check out uh, at a website, you'll have to choose one of those two things. If you're a regular VIP, you'll just be working out. And you'll receive orders from... Exclusive orders from Gene and I. But if if you join our VIP VIP program, you'll also be acknowledged by Gene and I during the orders by name, by a special nickname we give you. If you're wearing your name tag. Shouting... Now, I don't know how many of you saw the original Willy Wonka. But I've seen it 5,000 times and I love it every minute. But, uh... I'll be like the guy when everyone was unpacking the candy. You'll be packing the candy. That's how we've set it up. This exercise program. When there's orders uh, for for the other products we sell here at uh, of Enterprises, and so uh, that's it. You, but you know, decide. Do you want to spend uh, now? How much is your health worth? Forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars. Well, for the low low price of one thousand dollars, we'll get you in shape. The low, low price. Uh, oh, Jean, wait a second. That can't be right. Oh, Jean's saying, the water-free program. If you bring your own water, it's only going to be nine hundred ninety-nine dollars. And if you want to be acknowledged by Jean and I, it's only two thousand dollars. Oh, boy, Jean, you're kidding me. Nineteen ninety-one thousand nine hundred ninety-nine dollars. And that's a week. Every week. Uh, also, uh. Non-option. When you, can't, you first, you'll have to sign all the papers before you come, and you will need a, because one is for a power of attorney. So make sure those are signed and notarized. Uh, the, the the control room's telling me. Gene, uh, you look like you're in great shape. Have you been doing any of this? Ma'am, yeah, no, you have not. You've been licking boxes and smelling them and hiding in them, just being around our exercise program. You look great, Gene. And uh, I feel great, but I need some help. There's many paper cuts. Also, paper cut, we'll, we'll be treating you in how to treat paper cuts uh, because you'll probably get a few. And so that's it. Uh, you can help K-Pounce Radio. All of this goes to K-Pounce's mission of uh, boys who are best friends with cats and a candy a special candy fund that Sir has embezzled into his belly. And so that's it. I'm happy to return you to... So make sure to sign up if you care about being, be, being a VIP and exercise. It'll be life-changing. And especially change all my life because there's too much work with all the other orders coming in. Please, please, do this. Uh, Jean. do you have anything to say before we go? in man. I mean. Right, get in here and get it done. That's what you're going to be doing. And you could call me uh uh King Tommen, cause that's what I'll be going by when I'm telling you what to do. And getting you ship shape. Uh this is Professor Islinghoff of Burlinghouse uh, co-, co-, co signing off without a script with his real name on it. Thank you, Podman. And that's it for get, no go get on the mic. Uh, we now return to regular scheduled program on Cape Out Radio, the radio best boys, girls, and friends beyond the binary, best friends with cats. And cats, uh, Cape Outs Radio. Oh, thank you. That's good. You, do, you you. fixed it. Yeah, good thing you didn't say dogs, because no, right, Gene? Nah. No dogs. You can have a dog. Cape Outs Radio. Get, get your own radio for dogs. Goodbye. Uh, Crone, sweet, sweet crown. Miller Smith, Barky Jester. Hey. And not the kind of hay horses have, like, uh, that's that's kind of a joke. Crone, sweet, sweet crone, Miller, Smith, Barky, Jester, probably shouldn't start a prayer with a joke, huh? Oh, how about an ode? Oh, hey, to the gods old and new and newer than new and wiser than wise. Sweet, sweet crone, barky jester, hound, sweet miller, smith, barky jester. Sorry about that, miller, smith, miller, and smith. Miller and smith, if you had a son, you, should, you know, would you call him miller, smith? That's very uh, uh, that, that I could see quarterback for high school quarterback, miller, smith. In the, the class ahead of me there was a court, there was a football player with the last name Smith and there was someone with the last name Miller who was very good at uh, lacrosse. So sweet, sweet Crown, Miller Smith barkages this is gonna be a lesson, a prayer prayer, a praise within a lesson within a cause I learned this week what you needed to teach me that w A C C A C C E P T A N C E and so I, I guess I should have an ode, because, oh, g- g- how far I have to go. But how short the journey uh, to, re- you know, to, to see my shortcomings but accept them. And, know oh, it is but a reflection of my limitations. Oh, my shortcomings in the mirror look like limitations. And I know that I need to say Oh Crone, sweet sweet Crone Who was that young man? Who was that man making jest at you earlier this uh, passing weeks? Who was a young man without the courage to say hey Crone, you throw me a bone Volone phone? You know the FBI was tapping uh, Chuck, Chuck D.'s telephone. Oh no, that was that uh, Flavors' telephone. But Crone, you know I, I don't realize. I I don't realize, and I forget. Uh, and so I spread my arms open, and say, Crone, you're great. I accept that you may be limited, and your your godhead may not be the size I imagine it to be. Totally normal size, probably, Crone. And I accept the lessons you bestow on me, like the drip, drip, drip that uh, gets you know, like 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 I'm a, like like I don't know if I'm a stalactite or a stalagmite, and I don't know if this is the 50th time I've used that metaphor. So I don't know if I'm growing from the ground up or, or from the top down or both at the same time. But Crone, I know your wisdom is guiding those drips, drip, drip, dripping. Piling up the wisdom, one tiny film of limestone at a time, Crone. But I, you know, I'm a, I'm a god headless. i uh, without, you know, I have no like, uh, and I can't see it, Crone. Except when you teach me this acceptance to say, "Whoa, slow it down." You don't know nothing, and I do know that. Uh, but I forget how how to embrace that and say, well, you say?" Yeah, I don't know anything. The Crone, I was right about one thing, and you two last week was right about it, too. You do work in mysterious ways, Crone. Sweet. They, they just forgot the extra sweets. Like the Crone, she works in sweet, mysterious ways. Oh, boy, does she. And maybe Scott and Scott could talk to Bono about, or the Edge, about how sweet your moves are, Crone. So thanks for your dripping... Or, or you know, I just would, I don't know if I'm coming top down or bottom. You know, I guess I'm coming from the bottom to the top. Also, I don't know which one is, am I a stalag or a sagdus? Stalag, stalactites or stalagmites? I don't know. I'd rather not be either. If we're going to shorten it, I'd just rather be a stalag than a mite or a tight, uh, So anyway, thank you, Crone. Totally, one hundred percent accept this week. You know, full acceptance of my limitation. I accept my limitation to fully embrace you, because I like because I'm you know I'm limited. What can I say? Otherwise, I would accept you fully. And (laughs) as Crone, Miller, Miller, oh Miller. Oh how those who love you toil away, and you know the wheel you know goes round and round. And as that uh, Billy saying "Will it go round in circles?" It will when you're when that mill's going, it's going, Miller. And it feels, but sometimes we got to step. Away. You're right though, Miller. When we say we got to accept it and step away, all the mill does is grind. We're not a mill were Miller and you oh boy Miller, do I forget that sometimes I forget I don't see the uh the mill for the mill you know the miller for the mill. Uh, just like they say about the stars and stuff. And then I forget about the whole other level that I'm both the milled and like the like uh the baked I don't know. Am I the milled and the baked? Am I like uh I could I probably could use some extra bran. I don't know if you've been like a... Uh, Right, I probably told you that before too, but it's a circle. We're going around in circles, Miller, and I forget how badly I got to get ground down. You know, if I'm going to get, you know, processed into something, I don't know if I'll be savory or sweet. If I'm stalactite or stalagmite, probably neither and neither. But, uh, you know, maybe some limestone water would be good uh, in, in, uh, like, uh, will I be leavened or unleavened, Miller? Because lately I've been feeling stone ground and unleavened. Uh, but I know that's, again, I just got to ex- say, like, uh, I got to accept either my, my my yeasty side or my, you know, my non-yeasty side. And sometimes I just got to say lavash because it's such a podcasty word, lavash. And maybe I could greet the day with that lavash, like, and maybe that day won't be. Maybe it'll be some other form of flatbread, or maybe it'll be a risen bread. Maybe I'll rise up and see a risen loaf uh, right at the foot of my bed, placed by the Miller. uh, And and then I'll say, well, I'm the, you know, so anyway, Miller, you know, remind me to keep reminding me to accept that it's more than just the ground part. there's many more stages because there's both a mill and a Miller and the other parts of being. So thank you, Miller, for that, uh, that lesson. Oh, Smith, uh, you know, with the anvil and all those things, uh, it's, I guess I have hard times. saying, like, I guess if I could go back, no offense, Smith, uh, like, uh, don't let the Miller hear this, but, uh, I guess you're not working double duty, but you kind of are, the two of you. You're the workhorse gods. Uh, I guess that's why you would have that. Uh, if you have a son that's quarterback, don't put any pressure on him. Accept him. Like, you've accepted me, Smith. You see how he did that? Did you just accept that uh, move I just made, Smith? Because I'm accepting the hard work you're doing on me. Holy an- you know, holy hammer blows, uh I feel like a glass jaw Joe some of the time when I'm trying to sneak in these like uh, things that remind, like what are these, uh, you know, when th- one thing reminds me of another thing, even though those were body blows. I know, I know, I know, Smith, I know, you know, but all that hard work you're doing on me. And then you say, geez, uh, still too many impurities in there, but that's what makes him shine that way. I don't shine bright like a diamond. I know I don't do that, to Miss Smith. But keep forging me. You know, sometimes I like I forget whether I'm on the forge or in the anvil or sizzling in that water, or I've yet to be malleable. You know, I try to. Be, you're right, Miller. I need to remain remain malleable at all times. You know, we you can't you can't always. You know, we can't always be white hat, right? I'd like to be white, though, if 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 there is, if you're keeping a list, I'd like to be white hot at some point and laser sharp or, you know, razor sharp or laser sharp, either one of those, if you do have plans for me, uh, like that would be great, but I'll accept whatever, that's what I'm doing this week. is just accepting the, uh, how great you are, uh, like striking that anvil, striking while the iron's hot, uh. And, like, do, do, you do you do the work? I guess that's the thing. You do the work. I'm supposed to just kick back. I guess that's my what I got to accept is you're doing the work. Some reason that just seems to go against uh, culturally. I don't think we believe that in America here. And then I would say, well, you do the work. I'll do the worrying, it would be my uh, belief system. But I'm trying to replace it with yours You you let the the smith Let the crone do the all-seeing And the all, you know Let the miller do the grinding Let the smith do the work Scoots, just kick back There's no reason, you don't gotta do the worrying When the miller's at work, you just gotta accept it Or when you mix up the smith and the miller That they accept your apology Sorry about that or when you kiss your hand and you pretend it's a maiden and you get caught in public doing it uh, and someone posted it on Instagram. you got to accept those things too, right, Smith? Because maybe that's just your struggle. Maybe that was when I was white. Hot. If I'm white hot like that, I'd rather not be white hot, I guess. So let me just accept the work you do, Smith. Thank you, Miller Smith Barkey. Holy moly, Barky, I don't, like one thing I don't have trouble is accepting is you because you put a smile on my face. Uh, so maybe I got to accept the cartwheel of the smile, the frown. And uh, say, hey, sometimes, uh, but, you know, sometimes Barky's digging deep. Sometimes Barky's just silent uh, as a tree. And the answers don't come. Except in the, the sound of the wind in your branches, right, Barky, or the wisdom of the with the wrinkles in your uh, trunk. So sometimes I just gotta accept. I mean, the mystery of how the heck uh, what is cambium? That's one mystery that still hasn't been resolved. Uh, but also, how do you do it, Barky? Like, uh, how do you stay? How do you put such a smile on my face? Uh, how do you make me think of dancing groat every time? How do you take all those electronics I leave for you and rust them up, and so I can't return them? Oh, Barky, keep me accepting, mostly of accepting of your smile, your shade, and your bird droppings. Thank you, Barky. Oh, Jester, you know, let me just accept your laughter at my foibles, as we say here in this uh, this season. Uh, let me accept your 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 grins and your laughs and your giggles and your snickering. Let me accept you take you know when every time I say well you like uh, we, we, I know you're not the actual maid, but you say well actually I've got a date with the jester. Oh boy, another one bites the dust, jester. Help me accept that uh, it doesn't need to be funny for me to laugh at it, right? It just has to be my, you know, my mistake. Like, I can laugh at being human. And if I can't laugh at myself, I can accept that you're laughing at me and with me, right, Jester? So I can accept that. uh, And that's pretty sweet from your view and then maybe you're even saying see you wouldn't want to be uh, i could still laugh at that. thank you jester thank you for the acceptance gods crone sweet sweet crone miller smith barky jester hound oh, dog, god just accept you know just accept your your your, your bad words uh a uh, good night gods